0: saw this wide receiver play one time in college man, he was the best i've ever seen he caught everything thrown his way single coverage double coverage didn't matter and i wasn't the only one who noticed when he graduated college the nfl signed him to a four-year five million dollar contract but there was a clause in it see this guy had been caught twice in college with the possession of marijuana so the nfl in his contract put in a strict substance abuse policy didn't phase him the first year though he broke onto the scene wowed people with his abilities at the end of the first season though he failed his first drug test the nfl came out and said two game suspension no pay but if you do this again you're going to be banished from the league so he sat out the two games and he said he understood (laughs) if you thought he was good the first season you should have seen him in the second season this was truly his breakout he set records right and left He was the only receiver in NFL history to have two consecutive games where he caught over 200 yards. He was one of only two wide receivers to be named All-Pro. At the Pro Bowl, he made all the rounds. He was the guy in all the interviews, all the talk shows. He truly had made it in the NFL. Four months later, he failed his second drug test. At his defense, you know what he said? He said, He said, I didn't actually do anything. It was just secondhand smoke from my friends. Whether that's possible or not, just think about this. He's admitting to being around the people who are doing the very thing that could cost him everything. I mean, this guy had money, fame, success, and he threw it all away because of the people he surrounded himself with. Isn't that what we do, though? I mean, we all have our tribes, our groups of friends, the people that we hang out with. And we claim they don't affect us. Oh, well, well, it's okay that I'm hanging out with them because I'm not doing what they're doing. But really, aren't we just breathing in the secondhand smoke the whole time?
1: Good morning, church. Welcome, glad to have you here this morning as we come together every first day of the week to celebrate Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, to put Him on in our life and to live that ignited lifestyle that He's called us to live. But we come together every Sunday not only to praise His name but encourage one another on the journey. It's, it's great to look across the aisle and to see our family uh, and know that we're not in this thing alone, that we've got each other on that journey as well. Lots of great things going on at Crosspoint. Check the bulletin for opportunities for you to get involved in ministry. Uh, We also want to say welcome to our guests that are here today. Thank you for joining us. Uh, What a great opportunity to meet new people, new faces. And our hope is, of course, if you're looking for a church home, you can say today you found it. We'd love for you to be a part of our Crosspoint family. We all realize that we are broken people who desperately need a Savior, and we've decided to surrender our gift sets to Him to say, God, use us in your story how you see fit. We want to be a part of what you're doing in the world. And so we ask you to join us in that effort to share the story of Christ uh, to all those around us in the communities in which we live. So thanks again for being here today. Uh, We had a great turnout last night at our men's event. Some 80 plus guys showed up here and uh, we just had a lot of fun together. Uh, Some guys played basketball that maybe should not have been playing basketball, but uh, they were here walking around somehow today. I don't know how that worked out, but uh, we did have a a great time with everyone and uh, appreciate everyone that did come out and support that event. Uh, we also have as already been mentioned uh, our family movie today uh, we've got a large auditorium uh, rented out over at AMC and it's going to be a great time to be together as family just having fun living life together <clears throat> so i hope that you'll join us over there today uh, at 3:15 we're going to continue our uh, study out of God's Word, of course, but looking at friends in our life. How do we get the people in our life that we know we should have, that Scripture talks to us about having in our life? Two weeks ago, we launched this uh, a series called BFF, but we want to take a look at the springboard text in just a moment in Proverbs 13. I hope you've got your Bibles. You'll turn with me there. We'll be there in just a few moments. All of our text this morning will be on the screen Uh, and also I'll be reading from the New Living Translation when we do get there. But it's so important to understand who is around us in our life. Who do we journey with? Who do we have very close to us? And a reminder that this series is not a call for us to segregate ourselves from the world. We're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to be a light on the hill. But it is a call for us to think about those five, six, eight people that we have very close to us in our life Who do those people look like? How are they making us better people? And so today we're going to take a look at the life of David and find out some folks he had in his life that we probably should have in our life as well. We're reminded in today's lesson that we're really one friend away from changing someone's destiny for the better. We're one friend away from someone who needs to know the hope that we share in Christ Jesus, Uh, but equally, we want to be that friend to those around us who desperately need that friend in their life to help make them a better person along the way. And of course, our tagline this series is, you show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Absolutely believe that 100%. Andy Stanley once said, your friends will always determine the quality and direction of your life. Absolutely true. You and I both know what an impact friends have on us in our life, in our decision-making, in the fun times that we may have or the trouble we get into. Either way, we know the importance of having good friends in our life. The wisest man in the world, uh, in history, wrote in Proverbs 13 and verse 20, he said, "'Walk with the wise and become wise, associate with fools and get in trouble.'" Now that is some great advice for each and every one of us to know that we need to really surround ourselves with the people God, God has put in our life that bring wisdom to our life, that encourage us, that motivate us to be better people for the cause of Christ, to let the cross shine in our life, and to live that ignited lifestyle He's called us to live. Two weeks ago, we looked at a little bit of data that is out there and kind of realized that social media is, is allowing us, or, or making us, if you will, Change the definition that we have for friendships or relationships. And we looked at how we're really becoming uh, not more of a face-to-face kind of friendship people, but more of a thumb-to-thumb type friendship, relationship people. And God really wants us to be physically in each other's lives, to hang out with one another, to live life together. We re- we're reminded that the newest phobia out there on the market is answering the phone because we can't control or direct what's going to happen once we pick up and say hello And so many times we just let that phone call go to voicemail, we look at that uh, voicemail and then we can articulate how best we want to interact with a person who is on the other end. We control, kind of finesse, how things are said and done with our friendships. We are in this modern generation the most connected group of people ever in the history of mankind, but we are the loneliest group of people. And that's because we're not really getting into those deep, abiding relationships, those friendships that I think Scripture calls us to have one with another. We're satisfied with social media and the, and the great things that that can bring us rather than getting involved in each other's lives like I think Scripture calls us uh, to do. Sociologists have come up with three different main areas that all of us share in the form of poverty. And the very first one, of course, is is, uh, material poverty. It's the idea that maybe we don't have as much as someone else. Now, you and I, I would say, we're probably middle-class folks, but you go to any third-world country and you would realize very quickly that we are very blessed indeed. We are so blessed by God in many ways. I mean, just having air conditioning this morning is wonderful, don't you think? I mean, being able to gather in one place in this uh, beautiful building with our children's wing going up uh, quickly just outside those doors, it is an exciting time to be at Crosspoint, but we are so blessed in many ways materially. However, you go to any other location in the world, that's a third world nation, and we're reminded how blessed we are. The other one is spiritual poverty, so, sociologists say, that there are many of us who have no connection with God, our creator. We don't have a, a greater purpose in our life other than just me. Uh, And so we fail many times and we have that poverty level of spirituality where we're not living life for something greater than we are. And of course, finally, that third one is relational poverty. The idea that our friendships are so small, so less in our lives than they used to be, uh, that we are suffering from that poverty in our life. It's so important as we look at Scripture of how much friendships motivate us and move us in different directions in the poverty if we're honest with ourselves that we have in the relational aspect of things. How many of you have been on a mission trip to anywhere before? Raise your hand you've been on a mission trip. Yeah. Some of us have been to Memphis work camp. Some of us camp in the hills. Some of us just got back from Honduras, which is one of our mission points. Uh, last year, uh, Robert and I got to go with a group to Kenya, and we're going to be uh, blessing that group that's leaving at the end of this week uh, to go back to Kenya this year. Uh, but being uh, in that area, you, you go over there, and those kids at the, uh, the orphanage that we support, they are running around together, they're laughing together, they're smiling. They love hanging out together. And while I may have more materially than, than those folks do, you're there about two or three days and you're a little bit jealous. Because you're thinking, man, how are you so happy when you don't have so much stuff? And you realize it's because they don't have so much stuff to get in their way of relationships. You get a little bit jealous of what they have and you think, man, I want some of that. All of us want those kind of relationships in our life that pour into us, that encourage us, that help us be everything that God has created us to be. You see, you and I were created to be in community together. You look all the way back to the creation story, Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, and God says, let us make man in our image. Now, those pronouns there remind us that even initially, God lived in community. We're created in his image. We're supposed to live in community, not in isolation, one with another. You may be one friend away from changing the course of your destiny. That's pretty profound if you think about it one friend away from someone who could change your life forever for the better. You may be that one friend that someone is hoping will come along and change their life forever in a very positive way. There's a great story in the book of Acts about a guy by the name of Saul. The church was booming. It was going crazy, growing, and there were Christians everywhere, folks who had decided that Jesus was indeed the Messiah and they wanted to follow him. They were living that ignited lifestyle. But those faithful Jewish people uh, decided to do something about that. And we read about Saul the very first time as he's holding the coats of the first recorded Christian martyr. He was killed because of his faith in Christ. And Saul was there giving a thumbs up to what was going on. He liked what he saw. Then he got letters of authority from the the authority that was in Jerusalem to go to Damascus and arrest other Christians, to put them in prison as well. And the church knew about Saul. They wanted to steer clear of him, definitely. But on the road to Damascus, Saul literally had an encounter with Jesus Christ, and it changed his life forever. Well, the Spirit took him on to Damascus and told him to find a guy by the name of Ananias. Ananias was a church leader in uh, Damascus. But Ananias knew about Saul, and he said, God, I don't think you understand. This guy, when he comes to my house, I'm going to end up getting killed, and I don't want to go that direction. And God said, take a chill pill. It's going to be okay. Saul is a, is a good guy. He's a changed person. He's now a disciple of Jesus Christ. And sure enough, he showed up. His experience had left him blind. Ananias laid hands on him and he lost what the Bible says is like scales from his eyes and he could see again. And he began interacting with the disciples of Jesus in the town of Damascus. Eventually, he went back to Jerusalem. He wanted to meet with the apostles and the other disciples and see what the church was doing there, but they were skeptical as well. Saul had become Paul, but he was kind of in this limbo mode because the church knew about his past experiences with the church. But then Paul had a friend, one friend, by the name of Barnabas, who stepped up. And he told the church leaders, he said, listen, Paul is the real deal. He is the guy that he says that he is. He is a follower of Jesus Christ. He wants to live that ignited lifestyle like you've been called to live. Let him be a part of the church here. And so the church allowed him in. They began talking with him and realized for sure Saul was no longer Saul. He was Paul, a totally changed man. And because of Barnabas, because of one friend, we now have 13 letters in our New Testament. Paul went on many mission trips and planted churches. And literally to this day, millions of people have been affected by what Paul was able to do in the first century. It's unbelievable. It's so important that we have friends in our life who are willing to stand up with us, to encourage us and motivate us to be everything that God has created us to be. You may be one friend away from becoming everything that God designed you to be. Equally, you may be the one friend where you can admonish and encourage someone to become everything they were created to be as well. We do a lot of intergenerational ministry here at Cross Point, and what that basically means is that every ministry isn't just overdoing their own thing by themselves. We try to do a lot of crossover in age groups because there are lots of folks here who are older than me, and I need the story. I need to know how they lived life. How did you raise your kids? How did you interact with your spouse at the 50-year mark, etc.? What happens as I go through life? Each of us need those older mentors in our life. I'm remembering Overland Park was the church I worked at before I moved here. And we had one of our elders, believe it or not, his, his, uh, his name was Jack Bauer. And uh, yes, he was, on, he was not on 24, but he was Jack Bauer. And at about 78, 79 years old, he, he every Wednesday would come to youth group and he would hang out with the, with the youth he would listen to their stories and pour into them when they had questions about life and different things. He went on some of, uh, of our events together. And the kids absolutely loved Jack, but their story was being bolstered because Jack made a decision to cross the line and become a friend of those teens. Each and every one of us have those opportunities here at Crosspoint to cross over different lines and pour into people who desperately need to know that they're loved and appreciated and be reminded of who they are in Jesus Christ. Today, we're going to take a look at the story of David briefly and look at three different friends that he had in his life that I think you and I also need in our life if we're going to be everything that God's created us to be. And that very first person for David was the prophet Samuel. We all need a friend in our life who will make us better at who God's designed us to be. Samuel was that person for David. In the context that we find this story in 1 Samuel chapter 16, we'll be there in just a moment. The story is like this, and I set it up a week or two ago as well. King Saul is no longer going to be the king of Israel. God has already said that, and he wants Samuel to anoint someone else. And he says, Samuel, I want you to go to the house of Jesse And I want you to anoint one of his sons to be the next king of Israel. And so Samuel does as he's told, goes to Jesse's house. And one by one, Jesse's sons parade through the living room. And after everyone comes in front of Samuel, God says, nope, it's not him. Finally, all the boys walk through the living room. There's not one yet that's been approved. And Samuel says, do you have another son? Jesse says, well, there's young David. He's out watching the sheep. Well, bring him in, and sure enough, when David walks into the room, God says, that is the one I want you to anoint as the next king of Israel. It's so important to realize that Samuel journeyed with David in this regard. And he says in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 12, beginning, So Jesse sent for David. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, This is the one, anoint him. So, as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. You see, God allowed Samuel to see in David what no one else could see. And you and I need friends in our life who are much the same way. People that you've had in your life, you know a name that comes to mind, someone who's poured into you. Someone seemingly was the only one who saw something in you that no one else saw. I mean, this morning we start with this question, who do you hang with? Even accidentally, who do you have close to you? Who do you run around with in life? And maybe for you, it's, it's the guys at the gym. You, you see them a couple of times a week, maybe three times a week, but it's just at the gym. You hang out, you talk about life together. That's kind of one of those accidental moments. Maybe it's folks you work with. They've got a desk right beside you. You go to lunch together. You talk about life. But yet, every single week, it's the same people that are pouring into you one after another. Maybe it's neighborhood friends. Maybe it's parents on your kids' soccer or baseball team that you run around with. Maybe it's somebody that sits beside you in class and you interact with really regularly. And the question that we have to ask this morning is, do they Make you better? Do they challenge you? Do, do they push you to be the person that God's created you to be, like Samuel pushed David? Some of us in life, we, we're content to hang around the, the nagging neighbors the sky is falling type mentality and they're, they're always talking about politics or whatever else might be going on and, and we're content hanging out with that group. Or maybe it, it's the hateful neighbor who, who's always got something to say about somebody spreading some kind of gossip. Maybe it's the class bully and we don't mind being attached to him because he gets his way everywhere he goes. Maybe it's the spendthrift and, and they don't feel good about themselves unless they're spending money to keep up with the Joneses. What type of people do we have in our life that are pushing us to be everything that God created us to be? Remember, I'm not calling us to live a segregated life because God wants us to pour into those people as well. They may be waiting on you. You may be that friend that will help them become everything that God's created them to be as well. Remember what the writer in Proverbs 27, 17 says, this text here, As iron sharpens iron, so one friend sharpens another. And you and I need friends in our life that are going to sharpen our skills and our life to be everything God's created us to be. The second friend that David had in his life was a guy by the name of Jonathan. This is a very interesting story. And we all need someone in our life who will help us find spiritual strength along the way. You remember our first story, King Saul is no longer going to be the king of Israel. Jonathan is King Saul's son. Rightfully, Jonathan is the next king of Israel, but he knows God's plan. He knows David has been anointed, and yet they're still the very best of friends. You see, when King Saul finds out David is to be the next person after he kills Goliath. He invites him to the palace, and they live together. And so, of course, Jonathan and David run around together. They live life together. They encourage one another on the journey together. But David is someone that really upsets Saul because his son won't be his predecessor. David will, and he knows God's Spirit is now upon David. It's no longer upon him. And so the story goes in and out all the time. David is being pursued by Saul to be killed by Saul so that he won't be that person. And we find out how tight a friend Jonathan is in 1 Samuel chapter 23, beginning in verse 15. It says, One day near Horish, David received the news that Saul was on his way to Ziph to search for him and kill him. Jonathan went to find David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. Don't be afraid, Jonathan reassured him. My father will never find you. You are going to be the king of Israel, and I will be next to you in that process. That's the kind of friend I want in my life. Someone who wants to spiritually admonish me to be everything God's called me to be, to encourage me in my faith walk, to say, no matter what anyone else does, know that God is with you. You are the person that you're supposed to be, and God is walking by your side. We all need friends who will encourage us spiritually on our journey. You remember a few weeks ago, we went through our series on temptation. The truth is, you and I are going to fall in temptation once in a while. And I need a friend in my life who's going to come in and help pick me up and remind me of who I am in God's eyes, that I have been forgiven, that grace is extended, that I can move forward in my faith. I need that person in my life. Do you have someone like that in your storyline? Is there a Jonathan in your life? who motivates you spiritually to be everything that God's created you to be. And finally, there's a guy by the name of Nathan in David's story. Nathan is a a prophet of God, and we all need a friend in our life who will tell us the truth. And in those moments, we may not really want them in our life, but we need them in our life to tell us the truth. There's a great story in 2 Samuel chapter 12, Uh, it's preceded by a tragedy, really. David is on his rooftop. His army is at war. Kings should be with their men at war, but David's decided to remain. And he's on his rooftop one night, and he looks down, and he sees a woman by the name of Bathsheba uh, taking a bath. He lusts for her and has her come to the palace. They're together that night, she becomes pregnant, and he becomes very worried. Now, I've sinned against God, I've done the wrong thing, and now there's going to be an issue with a baby. And so he brings home her husband from battle and encourages him to go stay at his house. But of course he says, I can't, my men are in the field uncomfortable, there's no way I'm going to be comfortable while my men are out there fighting the battle. And so he doesn't go home. He ends up going back to the battlefront the next day, but David sends a message, give this to the commander. And he says, I want you to put Uriah at the very front of the fighting, where the hottest battle is, because I need him to be killed. That is exactly what happens. David takes Bathsheba to be one of his wives, and he is regretful the entire time. Not only has he committed adultery, but now he's guilty of murder, and it weighs heavy on his heart. His friend Nathan, who is a prophet of God, is sent by God to tell David a story. He says, David, listen to this story I've got for you. There, There was a rich man in town who owned several hundred sheep. Several hundred. Wealthiest guy in the area. And then there was a poor guy who owned one lamb. Now, the rich guy had a friend come to town, and he needed to have a banquet for the guy, but he didn't want to kill any of his own sheep, so he went over to the poor guy who had just one lamb, and he took that one lamb, he slaughtered it, and prepared it for the meal. David became absolutely furious. He said, that guy needs to die. Not only that, before he dies, he needs to repay four times what he took. He needs to give that poor man four lambs. And Nathan looked at David and said, you are that man. The text tells us that David wept. He was absolutely distraught. He was convicted. He had a friend in his life who was willing to tell him the truth so that he could repent and become everything that God had created him to be. And we know then that Psalm 51 then was written by David after this happened in his life. Let's read together Psalm 51 beginning in verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment. My mother conceived me, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You see, David had a friend in his life who was willing to take the risk and tell the truth to his friend, and each and every one of us needs someone like that in our life. Do you have a friend that would come to you and say in a moment, you know, if you if you decide to go this direction, you're you're gonna damage your marriage? Do you have a friend that that would say, Listen, if you make this decision, the relationship you have with your son or your daughter is going to be upset? If, if you make a decision to, to make this move, the integrity you have in your character in the community is going to be hurt. If you make a decision to do this, your ministry is going to suffer. Do you have a friend in your life who's willing to tell you the truth in the moment? Because some of us will never fully be the person God wants us to become because we are relationally poor. We've made a decision in our life, for whatever reason, to isolate ourselves. We, we come to this place late, we, we leave early, we make a decision not to be in a connect group, we're not going to be a part of any ministry, and then we wonder why we are relationally poor. Why doesn't anyone interact with me? For whatever reason, we intentionally make it impossible for us to have a Samuel or a Nathan or a Jonathan in our life. Why? Because it is risky I mean do you really want a friend in your life telling you the truth about things that you might could do better? I say we need those folks. It is risky to be everything that God wants you to be. God's design for us you see is to be in community and we're, we're to be a part of a group of folks who are just as on fire about God as we are that are willing to exhort, that are willing to encourage, that are willing to pray for us and mentor and and guide us along the way, to laugh with one another, to live life together. Those are the types of people that we need and want in our life. Oh, show me your friends and I will show you your future. There is no doubt. But some of us are not willing to go there. And some of us are heading toward new addictions that have not even been formed yet because we don't have these folks in our life. Some of us are maybe headed down the road to an eventual divorce because we don't have people pouring into us, into our life, to, to make sure that doesn't happen. Dramatic, yes. But if we don't do something to change the folks that are closest to us, we may be headed in that direction. Now, we're called to be ignited for Jesus Christ in our life. Not to be lukewarm for Jesus Christ, but to be on fire for him. And because of that, I want to have those people who have that same mentality right around me, very close to me. I I want friends who are going to push me toward having a joyful life, being happy about living the life that I've got. Guys around me that are going to be very positive and service-oriented, just like Jesus Christ. Folks who push me toward a greater eternity than I could ever imagine. You may be today one friend away from having the marriage that you've always hoped for. You may be one friend away today from being the parent that God created you to be. You may be one friend away today from having the financial freedom that you've always wished for. You may be one friend away today to being everything that God created you to be, to be an incredibly powerful empowered person of Jesus Christ. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. I think the Bible is pretty straightforward about the people we need to have in our life, not about segregation, but about those people closest to us. Who do they look like? Do you have a Nathan in your life? Do you have a Jonathan in your life? Do you have a Samuel in your life? The call this morning is to to desire to live a life that would give God glory in every possible way, including the friendships that we have around us. I'm going to invite the praise team back to the stage at this time, and our shepherds and their wives will be gathered around this room as they are every Sunday. And my guess is we're probably some of us here today who, who just need some prayers, who... For whatever reason, you're not able to make that turn or that shift or to move in a different direction, and you just need to feel some empowering spirit upon you. And I, I want to encourage you during the singing of this song to go find those shepherds and let them pray with you and for you, to lay hands on you, to empower you to do great and mighty things. You may be one friend away today from being everything that God's promised you you could be. Let's stand and sing together. I'm asking you to be seated for just a moment. And those uh, folks that are headed to Kenya, if you would come up on stage along with our shepherds and staff as well, while they're making their way up, I've got a couple of announcements I'd like to make. I was given this this morning by Leighton Waters, surprise, surprise, there he is right there. <laughs> Scott and Amanda Waters announced the birth of their son, Leighton Thomas Kern Waters. Well, that's a mouthful, isn't it? On Saturday, June 25th, he weighed in at 8 pounds, 13 ounces, 22 inches long, uh, for those that like statistics. Amanda and the baby are fine. Scott is recovering. (laughs) Proud grandparents are late in Cynthia Waters, of course, and uh, they're asking that you not visit between 2 and 4 today because uh, that's mommy and uh, baby time. So we'll pray for them in just a moment. Uh, But also, Herb sent me a uh, message this morning. His sister, Cindy Coleman, is having uh, cancer surgery tomorrow. And uh, so we need to keep Cindy in our prayers as well as that surgery will go well and the doctors and nurses will be able to attend to her and do everything that's necessary. So let's pray for these two things and then uh, we'll turn things back over to Leighton for the Kenya blessing. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful for the opportunity this morning to be together as God's people and uh, I count every person in this room as my friend. And I thank you, God, for putting them in my life and I pray, God, that each one of us would have people around us that motivate us and move us toward the cross. God, we are grateful for the safe delivery of Leighton, and uh, we're grateful for the safety of Mom, Amanda, and Scott, of course. And pray, God, as they raise that child, that we will join with them in that raising and and help uh, along the way. Thank you for their health. We pray, God, that you'd be with Cindy tomorrow in her surgery that all things would go well, that the doctors and nurses would attend to them in the, way, uh, her, in, the, in the way that is necessary to bring her back to full recovery and get her back on her feet again. God, be with the family as they circle around her and support her in that way. God, we give all this to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen.
2: <clears throat> if y'all would join with me as we uh, pray for God's blessing on this group that's heading off to Kenya. Father, we gather here in the name of your Son, the Christ who we adore. Today we honor and ask your blessing on those who are going to Kenya to work with the children at Sam's place. These servants are precious to us, and we ask that you watch over them as they journey in your name to teach and guide children who have been discarded and forgotten by their own people. Father, our hearts are touched by these children. They live their lives in a shroud of silence, and we are thankful for the ones who go to share your love with them. In silence, Father, we now pause to briefly live just a few moments, just as these children live every moment of their lives. Father, we recognize that we can never really know the sound of total silence and never fully understand what these children feel. We are so thankful that you have given these servants the ability to communicate with these children through the language of talented hands, expressive eyes, heartfelt emotions, and the gentle touch of a caring love that can and does pierce their silence. May those who go serve with loving hearts, and may their lives be examples that lift the spirits of the children whose lives they touch. Protect them in their travels. Protect them from the physical dangers they face in a foreign and sometimes scary world. Protect them from the attacks of the evil one who works daily to discourage and deceive and destroy our lives. May your Spirit wake them with the joy of each day, and may your Spirit guide their daily path. May they run and not grow weary, and may they fly on the wings of eagles in your name. We place them in your hands, Father, and know with confidence in your love of their safety and success. We lift our prayer to you through Christ, who we adore. Amen.